Hi, everybody. Welcome to number 36 in the series of PR Masters podcast series. I'm Mark Stevens, your host, and I'm also managing partner of the Stevens Group, a leading facilitator of mergers and acquisitions in the PR and digital interactive space. As you know by now, having hopefully listened to many of our podcast series, that the PR Masters honors living legends in our profession, individuals who have made a mark in the world of public relations. And today we have a very special guest, somebody that I have known for a number of years. At one point we were competitors, and at this point we uh, do not compete with one another because Margie does something quite different from what I do now. Uh, anyway, we're talking about Margie Booth, who is an accomplished business leader, entrepreneur, and brand marketer. And Margie is the active working chairman of M. Booth, a very well-known public relations organization. Uh, it's a communications firm that she founded in 1985, and it's grown to be one of the most successful mid-sized agencies in the communications industry. And M. Booth is consistently recognized as a top creative firm, winning all kinds of industry awards. Uh, Margie made a big move back in 19, rather in 2009. She sold her agency to Next 15 Communications Group, which is a global holding company comprised of 17 digital market research and communications firms. And M Group continues to grow exponentially, achieving 40% compounded growth over the last two years. All I can say about that is wow. And Margie was one of the six trailblazers inducted into PR Week's Hall of Fame in 2016. So it's my privilege to have a discussion today on PR Masters podcast series with my old friend and a one-time competitor, Margie Booth. Hi, Margie. How are you today? Good. Uh, how are you today, Art? I'm good. I'm good. I hope you're staying safe and healthy. We are. We are. We're outside of New York City um, and are very privileged to be in the mountains. So, you know, very safe and sound. Oh, good. Good. Glad to hear that. Well, you, you've, you've had astonishing success without question. And, and you are the epitome of a public relations organization that has been acquired by, by a larger uh, uh, global company like uh, Next15. Uh, and you are the, the epitome of, a, of a, an acquisition that has worked very well, which makes me feel very good because, as you know, I now currently facilitate mergers and acquisitions. So yours is a prime example of what went right. And I wanted to get into a little bit of that with you today and also uh, about what you're doing personally and professionally as well as how uh, M. Booth is uh, – uh, being attuned to the times we live in, pandemic and all. So let's start with this, uh, Margie. You've been the CEO of M Booth for the number of years. You are now chairman, as I understand it. Uh, you might want to uh, let us know what what that means in point of fact and how the organization has shifted in terms of its of its management. But the point of fact is, when I headed Lopes and Stevens in New York back in the day, as you know. I admired and respected you even then for the great work that your agency did for clients. You founded your firm, and you've never looked back. So what I'd like you to start with today, Margie, is take us back to the day that you founded M. Booth. What were you doing then, and how did it come about? What made you decide to become an entrepreneur? Well, Art, I, you, you may know this, but I started my career at Reuter Finn. It was called Reuter and Finn back in those days. And um, due to a conflict of interest situation, Bill Reuter uh, set up something called Public Interest Public Relations, and that was a firm that only worked with not-for-profits. <clears throat> and they ran into a big conflict at the time, and so Bill 
had to, uh, you know, sort of outpost the firm. And so he gave it to me, literally gave me the firm with two clients in it. And so for the first six years, you know, we did nothing but nonprofit work, and it was really terrific. Um, one of those first clients, actually the second client, was the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, which I'm oh. proud to say 40 years later is our longest standing client. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah, that's a long time. And so we did that very successfully. And then in 1984-85, you know, companies, corporations, um, the first one uh, in those days called General Foods, I'm really dating us, aren't I? Um, Ken Ken Deffrin, right? Ken Deffrin. Well, even before Ken, yes. Ken and I were (laughs) colleagues. Actually, Ken and I were colleagues at Reuter at one moment. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. So at at one so they came to us and a couple of others came to us and so I decided at that moment to uh change the name of the firm to M Booth, uh start taking on corporate clients and then our you know, our first campaign was actually uh something for Jello of all things called the Jello Reading Rocket. It was an equity campaign where we won actually lots of awards for at the time. So that's how we really got started and um it grew from there. Well, what I recall uh, most about your firm um, is how creative you guys were, you know, truly creative. You'd come up with ideas for products, uh, how to uh, promote and market products via the, uh, you know, the PR capabilities that you had uh, in distinct ways. Uh, so what were some of the other early creative campaigns you worked on, other uh, uh, budding organizations? One of the campaigns I'm most proudest of is a campaign called the Jello Reading Rocket. It was actually our very first campaign that we did with Children's Television Workshop, and it was a campaign to build equity for Jello. And it turned out it was in actually in school districts all over the country and won all kinds of awards. The second one was something we named Small Business Saturday. We co-created Small Business Saturday with American Express, and it was a great campaign that really championed small businesses all over the country. And we went to 25, 30 markets every year and celebrated small businesses. And we even got, at the time, President Obama uh, to shop small on Saturday. So it was a really, really great campaign, again, that won many, many awards. Could you name some of your present blue-chip clients? I mean, you have always uh, done work for some very, very well-known brands. Yeah, sure. Um, current clients include Procter & Gamble, uh, Google, Macy's, um, Johnson & Johnson. Um, well, those are four that I can think of. Sure, um, sure. Um, and, and several others um, that, you know, are Carnival – well, okay, Carnival mm. Cruise Lines, unfortunately, is, you know, having its, its problems at the moment, but Carnival mm. – Cruise Lines um, is a client. 7-Eleven is a client. Pepsi is a client. I mean, I could go on, but they're they're very. I'm I'm I feel very honored. We all feel very honored to be representing such distinguished brands. Well, that's why I wanted you to name a few because uh, you know I'm aware that you have always uh, worked with blue chip clients, and I just want our listeners to get a sense of who some of your clients are, right? Uh, and as part of the success you've achieved over the years. Yes. Well. You know, we feel we feel extraordinarily fortunate to be having those folks on those kinds of clients on our on our roster for sure. Yeah. So, Margie, you know, your firm has grown exponentially in the intervening years, and I suspect that a lot of your growth has come after you your firm was acquired by Next Fifteen, and 
you know, I've, I've dealt with Tim Dyson, who's a CEO, and he's, he's quite a guy. And I guess what I wanted to find out from you is how you've achieved that kind of growth, you know, that took you to a totally different level, uh, at least from the time that I knew you back in the day when I, you know, ran Lopes and Stevens. You went to a totally different stratosphere. So how did you do it? How did you pass your competitors by in terms of people, clients, and growth? And what, what, what was the factor in, uh, in working with Next15 and helping to do that? Well, I think a, a couple of things. First of all, we felt so very fortunate to have found Next15. They found us. We found them. And Tim Dyson is an extraordinary CEO, and he lets agencies be. And so we had the freedom to really do anything that, within reason that we wanted to do. And when I first sold, I told Tim that I really did not want to be running the firm day to day to day, that I really wanted to bring in someone new to do that. And I felt that was really important uh, for the growth of the agency because I think after a while, you know, if you really understand your leadership qualities and you want something to grow, that you know, you need out, you need some outside thinking. You know, you can't think the same way every day. Um, so I brought in Dale Bornstein, um, who was a Ketchum alum, had been there for 27 years, and Dale is an extraordinary leader. And you know, she took uh, she took a lot of what we had and made it bigger and better. Now, you know, Dale couldn't do this alone. I had a group of people, um, This uh, a, a guy, Joe Hamrahi, who is now our COO, was the CFO, um, four or five of our key people, Lawrence Swartz, Jennifer Teitler, uh, Rich Goldblatt, uh, Matt Hans, um, Alfredo Bernal, John Lesniak. These are all, you know, tried and true old embuthers, not old, but, you know, sure. have been there 15, 20 years plus. And, uh, you know, Dale, um, Dale and, and those folks um, have really helped grow the agency. And then Dale brought in some really interesting new talent, John Paul Buckmeyer, A.G. Bevilacqua, and many, many others that I can't name. And then we looked to strengthen some of our capabilities. We really, really strengthened our um, content design capabilities so now we have 45 designers illustrated copywriters and we really don't think of ourselves necessarily as a PR firm of course that's what our bread and butter is and that's you know what where our heart and soul is but we have several clients now that hire us for complete creative 360 where we're doing their digital social we're doing their um, activations of all kinds. We're doing their experiential. We're doing their entertaining, entertainment marketing, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, to be able to expand that footprint has been a huge reason that we've been successful. And then we also beefed up a lot our research and analytics capability led by, um, you know, some very, very good people. And uh, so kept adding, adding strength to what we already had. So your your firm was indicated acquired by Next15, and so they they had been known uh, as a uh, an international organization uh, uh, headquartered, I guess, in in the, the UK that typically focused on technology. So here you are, uh, essentially, uh, primarily a consumer products uh, agency, at least you know uh, as far as I remember you uh, having been that. 
And so a, a technology organization acquires a consumer product agency. How did that come about? I mean, what was the thinking at that time? Well, at the time, um, it, it's very interesting. At the time, Next15 had um, a consumer capability in the U.K. that they wanted to grow. And so they thought that by acquiring Embooth, um, you know, that would be the way to do it. And so that's why they acquired us at the time. Now, the agency in the U.K. grew, molded into other agencies, isn't necessarily there anymore. But 11 years ago, gosh, it's been 11 years, that was um, that was the reason. And so now, interestingly enough, um, you know, we've explored our we've broadened our purview quite a bit. Um, you know, we do an awful lot of corporate work now, as well as consumer work. Um, we're very heavily invested in digital as well. So, although that's a capability that I put through both, but you know, certainly it's it's different than it was. And so I think. If you look at the Next15 portfolio, we're still sort of an outlier. Um, there are a couple of other firms, one called Elvis, another called Odd, um, that are in more of the consumer space. And, you know, they're, they're both in London, and they're both terrific, terrific shops. Hmm. Are you at liberty to – I know uh, uh, these figures are private. Are you at liberty to, to let us know what your current fee billing is? Well, I mean, I can tell you that if today or just a couple of days ago we found out that we're one of seven um, agencies, global agencies of the decade, um, that Paul Holmes has uh, noted and said we are one. And he said, he said we're around $65 million, and I think the way – I think that's probably a little high. Um, I think that what I can tell you is that, you know, we were trending at around – $44 million before the pandemic um, hit, and I'm happy to say that, you know, of course we lost some business, and anybody who tells you they didn't are probably, you know, not telling you exactly the truth. Um, but, you know, we've built that probably almost back to that, not quite, but we're almost back where we were. And then right before the pandemic, we acquired um, uh well, it's now called Embooth Health. It was called Health Unlimited. Uh, we acquired the U.S. Um, division of that company. And so that brought, you know, more income to us as well. And so if you look at what we call one booth, you know, we're we're probably, you know, in the 60-ish maybe. Incredible. It's hard to know. Incredible growth. Yeah, it's Incredible been really growth. good growth, and and you know I have to give it to my team, um, you know the the tried and true Embuthers and Dale, and you know all the folks that she surrounded herself with now um, for for really realizing that growth. Yeah. So, Margie, I always ask this question, you know, particularly to legends in the industry like you. Um, how did you get into public relations in the first place? Did you know it's something you wanted to do, or did it come about through unusual circumstances? Well, this is kind of dopey. I mean, the truth is, Art, I th I always thought I wanted to be in television journalism. And so I was working at Bantam Books. Um, that was ah. my first job out of college. And I, you know, I quickly learned that I wasn't very good at it. I was an assistant to the executive editor and you know most of my job was secretarial at the time but then every once in a while they'd let me read a you know a, an unsolicited or solicited manuscript that come come in review it and tell them 
whether it, I thought it would sell and what you know the marketing <laughs> marketing possibilities were. So one of the books that one of the first books they let me read was The Joy of Sex, and I told them <laughs> it would never sell. So you could tell where that career was going. Um, so then I heard about an opening at Reuter, and it was in their radio TV department. Um, and I thought, oh great, oh great. And you know, I didn't realize at the time that you know when you certainly become a PR practitioner, it's very hard to become a journalist. It isn't hard to become a journalist. Well, it's hard to become a journalist, but switching from journalism to PR isn't as hard as switching from PR to journalist. It's that's yeah, very yeah. rare. And so there I was. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I actually enjoyed it, and I found that you know I. I really like working with clients. Um, you know, my first job, my really the job at Reuter and Finn was booking people on the Today Show and other television shows at the time. And I found, you know, that you know I liked doing it, and I uh, I wasn't bad at it. And so, you know, my career grew from there. You know, you know, what's interesting, Margie, is that you and I have had, in a in a way, parallel careers. My first job was also at a publishing company. I. I uh, was a textbook editor at Prentice Hall. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. I like to say uh, back, my kids say back in the day, right? Back in the day, yes, back in the day. But it was while at Prentice Hall, you know, that I got into their corporate public relations department without knowing anything about what it was, you know. So it's funny how life takes us in certain directions. But but uh, it's interesting that you and I have started out in book publishing. <laughs> right. And here we are. Here, here we, we are. are. Here we are. Yeah. Many, many yeah. years later, we won't say how yeah. many are. Yeah, we won't. Okay. We won't. Yeah. So what was it like running your own business, you know, in the early days? Uh, did you like it? You know, you, you know, obviously uh, you probably hadn't even thought about starting your own business. but no. it, But as you indicated, and, it was sort of handed to you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was handed to me, and I really thought at the time that I was, I was still part of Reuter. I don't know why. I, that's how naive I was. I have to say that Bill Reuter, till the day he died, was a terrific mentor, friend, supporter, advocate. I mean, I couldn't have asked for, I think, <clears throat> Part of my success certainly can be laid right at the Bill Reuter footstep, uh, foot, you know, at his feet. Um, and so what was it like? I didn't know what I was doing, Art. I really didn't. And, I, you know, I, um, I called my dad, who was an entrepreneur of, of sorts, and said, what is cash flow? Because I don't think I have it. <laughs> so, you know, it was trial and error. And, I, and, and naively, I just never thought about the fact that I could go under or that it would fail. I just kept at it. You know, very tenacious. Yeah. Well, very I tenacious. had a similar conversation with my, with my dad uh, when I was made public relations director at Prentice Hall at the age of like 25. I said, Dad, guess what? I'm public relations director of Prentice Hall. And there was a long pause, and he said, that's very nice, son, but what's public relations? Yes, so. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess, you know, you start out, and I, it, and naively, I, for me anyway, very naively thought that, I, you know, I I – couldn't fail. I just didn't think about failing. You know, it didn't yeah. occur to me that I used to call the bank and pray, 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 tell them not to bounce, you know, the payroll checks. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was hard. It was hard. Yeah. But then, you know, you come up and of course you hire all the wrong people to start because you don't know anything right. about hiring and firing people. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that happened, of course. And I mean, you know, I'm sure you and I could share war stories that make our hair stand up now like yes, really yes, that yes, really happened yes, yes i know we could i know we could yeah. but you know uh 
as the years have passed, you know, you obviously have demonstrated a, a tremendous uh, capability, you know, in your chosen profession, and uh, along the way, you've received many awards. Why? Why do you think? What, what? What do you think you personally brought into it that maybe you didn't know you had in you, uh, say at the time, that enabled you to, you know, to come up with programs for clients, you know, that, you know, that uh, uh, when you went to high, when you went to high school, you would never have even thought about. <laughs> well, uh, I think a couple of things. I think first, you're only as good as the people around you. So did I come up with all these ideas? No. Did I have a team around me that was terrific? And I, you know, to this day, Dale and I say inspired people do inspired work. So I think that if you can be inspired by the people around you, you give them room to breathe, they come up with great ideas, you can build on them, you know, you can do all kinds of things with them. But in the end, you know, you can't operate as an island. And so I was, you know, maybe I had a good sense for surrounding myself with good people. And so, you know, that I think, that I think is, is part of it. The second thing is is that, you know, my husband, who happens to be a criminal defense lawyer, he's very black and white. I'm sort of very gray all the time, you know. I, I'm sort of a, a whirling dervish in the kitchen. So I've got a mind that sort of, you know, it, it kind of goes maybe to places that, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not very neat. I, I, get, I mean, I'm, I don't mean that in the way I keep my house. I just mean my thinking isn't very neat. It can be very linear and it can be very strategic. But, um, you know, I let my mind wander. And so I think sometimes you come up with good ideas that way. And if you and as I grew, I began to understand more about I was a kid. I was 28 when I started my agency. So, you know, you learn a lot more about business. For and sure. I had, well, and I had some yeah. good good business advisors around me too. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Actually, uh, you know, one of the things that both you and I learned in starting an agency is that we, you know, we may have been, you know, let's say capable in in terms of the professional aspects of public relations, you know, uh, how to deal with clients and how to come up with ideas and how to achieve results. But both you and I, uh, you know, uh, when you when you when you start running your own business, uh, it adds another dimension, you know, that of the business person. How did you adjust to that and how did you learn how to do all the things in terms of, you know, uh, operating a business? Well, I think two things. I think I had really good legal help and I had really good financial and accounting help. And I chose both of those, you know, uh, the lawyer and the accountant, based on them having a lot of experiences with PR firms. And so, you know, I learned a lot from them. And, you know, I, I you know, and then other consultants uh, in the field that we brought in all the time to help us um, with certain things that I wasn't sure of. I mean, I remember bringing in consultants to help us with procurement. I mean, you know, as you and I know, procurement can be hard. And so, you know, how how you deal with procurement, um, you know, how you budget with procurement, uh, how you don't try to lose your shirts with procurement can be certainly, you know, a hill to climb. And so there was all of that. And, you know, and then part of it's just luck, Art. Let's just be honest. <laughs> part of it's just luck, you know. You know, and again. The vicissitudes of fate. The vicissitudes of fate, but I, I do think, again, it all comes down to people. Yeah, and, yeah. And who you surround yourself with. 
Yeah, you're absolutely and then, right. You're and then also right. having a resilience that, you know, something I always say to people when we lose a piece of business, which hopefully we don't do often and somebody's mourning that, I just say, okay, you've got 24 hours to be absolutely miserable. You can be miserable for 24 <laughs> hours. And then <laughs> onward, you know, yeah. next case. Because there, there always will be a next case. Good philosophy. Good philosophy. So right. where is Embooth today in the world uh, and what is your vision and, uh, in terms of where it's going to continue going? And what is your present role and, and what role would you play in that growth? Um, so I think, you know, we're, we're in the middle of, of strategic planning now. Um, I think for us it's always been a question of how do you stay a bit, a, uh, you know, ahead of the curve. I think that, you know, when we think about what we're building out, we're looking into a variety of verticals where we believe we should be. We're looking at some white space um, where we believe that uh, no one has captured yet and we might be able to capture just because of who we are. We certainly um, believe in technology and the use of technology, creative technology, to tell stories. And so, you know, we're really doubling down on that. Um, and, you know, just trying to take a look at where we think the world is going and where we need to be in that world. So that's a, I know that sounds vague, but without giving away the store, you know, sure, that's, sure. What, that's what we're thinking about. And in terms of my role, um, you know, it's a, very, it's a strategic role, really. I, I feel like I am a counselor to Dale and the senior team. And so, you know, just having been in this, like you, for as long as we have, I can bring some wisdom and some experience um, and, and, and out, almost not an outside point of view, but a different point of view than those that are, you know, toiling day to day to day to day. And I'm not toiling day to day to day um, in terms of, uh, you know, getting uh, running accounts. I'm certainly not doing that at all, and nor would I want to, nor would anybody want me to. So... You know, it, it's it's more of being of, of a counselor, which I'm quite enjoying, and where I can help, where I can help the firm, I'm happy to. Yeah. What is your what is uh, this risk it philosophy? Um, apparently, you're, you indicated uh, somewhere I, I read that uh, you're you're living your risk it philosophy during the time of COVID nineteen. Would you tell everybody what what that means? Well, I mean, I think I think you should take a risk every day. I think you should be scared of doing something every day and try to do it. Um, and so, and and so, you know, that could be something very personal. And it's interesting. I I run these um, eh, maybe once every two or three months. I run what's known as a founders breakfast for people that are new at the firm. And I always say to them, okay, now, so. I've got a risk philosophy and because it's entrepreneurial, right? Even though I didn't think I was taking a risk when I started my firm, I was, as were you, right? We did, I don't know that we thought about it as a risk, but it was a risk. And so I make them go around the table and tell me what risk they've, what risk they've taken. What was a risk that they took that they were proud of? Hmm. And, you know, it ranges everything from, you know, going up and jumping out of an airplane to moving to New York and not knowing anybody to, you know, calling somebody up on the phone or getting up. One one young woman told me she was really scared of public speaking, really scared of public speaking. So the next big, you know, agency meeting we had where we have people come up and present, I made her get 
<laughs> I didn't make her. But I suggested she get up and present, you know, and four yeah. years later she's not afraid to get up and present. So it's, you, you know, go. little things like that. I think that's great, overcoming your fears and taking risks. Right, so exactly. So it makes life all the more interesting, doesn't it? It, it does, yeah. it does. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I do it, you know, you know, I do it too. I mean, I, you know, this summer took up paddle boarding, and I was a little frightened about that. I didn't know whether mm-hmm. I could do it, but it's really mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, Mar- you've always volunteered a lot of your time, you know, to organizations and causes. Uh, are, are there some prominent ones that you're involved with now outside of, uh, you know, M Booth? Well, yes. I'm, um, there are three things I'm doing now that I'm, I'm ex- kind of ex- excited about. Um, one is I'm the co-chairman of a national nonprofit known uh, uh, called the National Center for Learning Disabilities, which is an organization that takes a look at everyone, one in five Americans suffering from attention and learning issues. And both my children growing up had that, so it was something that was near and dear to me. And so, you know advocating for that population and it's a hard one because it's invisible it's not like you know cancer it's not like heart but it's something that people suffer with every single day of their lives if you've got it Um, and so I've been active with that Um, I sit on a tiny little board it's not tiny it's a nice size you know it's an organization New York based called Community Resource Exchange which think McKinsey for small nonprofits that provides leadership and strategic thinking and uh, development and all that kind of stuff for l- lots of nonprofits and neighborhoods all over New York City. So that's that's really fun because, you know, you're helping people really that can't get that help anywhere, and particularly during COVID-19, holy moly, do those folks need help. Yeah. And then um, this isn't not-for-profit, but I'm involved um, with a black-owned business in Harlem called the Harlem Chocolate Factory. Mm, and mm. Um, it, that, it's the most delicious chocolate in all of the world. That's a big <laughs> statement. Can you tell them in PR? Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been helping that person, uh, Jessica Spaulding, who's the CEO and uh, founder of that business, help grow her business. And you can imagine what's it, what's going on during COVID. And, you know, it's a business that lends itself to corporate gifting and all kinds of other stuff. So, that's been a lot of fun for me, and I and I met Jessica through a group of women that I am involved with called the. This is a long name, but it's called the Women's Enterprise Action Loan Fund. What simply they give loans to small emerging businesses that are owned by women, and so that's how I met Jessica and the Cho- Chocolate Factory, which terrific. It's really fun. Well, it looks like you have your hands full with all of those things, and. So that leads to my next question. Uh, what did, do you think that the uh, the current coronavirus crisis will change public relations as we know it today? Whoa. Well, it certainly changed. It certainly changed the way we work, and it certainly you know gave permission to to work not necessarily in the same room all the time, right? I mean, everybody is working remotely for the most part. And so I think that it it certainly changed the way we work and we uh, and we communicate. And so that certainly has affected the way we counsel clients. It's affected crises for sure when we have crisis communications. Um, so it's affected us across the board in the way we deliver services. Now, I think 
you know, at some moment we might be back to, quote, normal, but I don't know that we'll ever come back to everybody being in the office at the same time all the time because I think we found that you can be successful not being together all the time. However, saying that, um, you know, I know lot, lots and lots of us have cabin fever and are ready to get back it, into an office. I'm hearing that every day. <laughs> I am in my travels. Uh, Margaret, I have just a few more questions for you, and I, I really sure. thank you for your, your insights and, 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 and a peek into who you are and what you've done. Um, first of all, what's your view of where our country is today, and, and how do you feel a PR uh, marketing communications and M Booth can play a more meaningful role in it? Well, I think we're I think it's a mess at the moment. I mean, I think between the pandemic, I think between racial divisions, um, and certainly you know a lot of uh, divisiveness across the board, um, we're in a really tough tough time in our country and in our lives. I think um, M. Booth certainly is trying to really double down on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we weren't when this all really came to the fore through George Floyd and and others and countless others um, that you know we our population and M. Booth really isn't reflective of who we want to be. And so, you know, we're doing an awful lot now in terms of trying to change that into really being open to equity in our in our workplace and in how we think. And, you know, that extends to, you know, the kinds of organizations that, you know, MBOOTH supports. Um, you know, we're doing an awful lot with black-owned businesses now. Um, we are uh, – we have all kinds of training going on. We've hired someone to help manage um, our DE&I efforts. Um, we've hired a consultant to help us with a strategic plan. And so, you know, um, we're talking the talk, um, and we're, I, we're just not, you know, we're just not blabbing the blab. We're really taking action. So, you know, I think in some small little way, if we can do our part, then we're hoping others will too. So, Margie, I have one, one final question for you, and that is where do you, where do you see Margie Booth in the years ahead? You know what, Art? Day to day, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I think it's really important to stay active and um, curious. And I'm a huge traveler, and I've been all over the world. And so this, you know, this pandemic has really um, set me back a little bit in terms of, you know, being – I mean, I'm still very much curious, but I can't go anywhere. So I'm hoping when – when, you know, we all feel safe again, I, we can start traveling again. Um, you know, I think it's really, really important to stay active in business and, you know, uh, help them boost when I can, but also help other businesses and uh, so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm, you know, I think every day is an adventure. You start out every day is an adventure and you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So just one one quick more additional question is, do you, do you have hobbies? There are other th do you things... What makes you relax? Uh, what, what things do you like to do? Well, I'm, so I'm a big outdoors person. I like hiking. I like kayaking. I like paddleboarding. Um, I like reading. I like cooking. Um, and I like people. So I 
anytime I can be with new people, curious people, different people, people with different points of view, people who experienced all kinds of things I haven't, that's what makes me tick. Great. And on on that note, Margie, I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join our PR Masters podcast series uh, and for the wonderful conversation you and I just had. You and I go back together. I've always admired and respected you, and there is nothing that you've said today that will ever, ever change that viewpoint that I have. So thank you so much for being with us. It's been fun, Art. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for joining us today and sharing your listenership with us and Margie Booth. And uh, thank you for tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So, everybody, until next time, I'm Art Stevens, wishing you all the very best.